Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Hi, we're with Chuck Casley this morning. Uh, Chuck, welcome to the podcast. Hey, I'm uh, I'm glad to be here. Exciting stuff. Chuck, you're Chief Customer Officer of Evergy and Vice President of Public Affairs. Um, we're excited to talk to you this morning about the EV initiatives that you've uh, put on the Genesis and an update on their status. Just uh, tell us some of the landmarks. I believe you're one of the more aggressive deployers of EVs. What was the genesis of that strategy, and what were the early steps that you put into uh, place? Yeah, well, we are uh, very uh, involved and engaged with electric vehicles and electric vehicle charging. And uh, that really all came about uh, and started in uh, 2014. Uh, when we had the idea that electric vehicle charging uh, wasn't something that uh, just needed to happen in, in California or on the coasts, but was really something uh, that uh, our customers in Missouri and Kansas, uh, if, if the proper conditions were present, would be extremely interested in. And so we started to take a look at, you know, what could and should the utility role be and and you know what you know what would the impact of electric vehicles and electric vehicle charging be uh, on the grid and essentially out of that uh, we came up with uh, what we now call the clean charge network which i believe is still the largest investor owned utility uh, charging station network in the united states and uh, essentially what it is is we've got uh, close to uh, 2000 uh, places to charge um, throughout our service territory, and and we own them and we operate them. And the whole notion really was if you break down range anxiety so that in a metropolitan area like Kansas City, there is always some place um, in, in people's daily lives that they know they can charge, that people uh, will adopt and want to adopt uh, electric vehicles and electric vehicle technology. And so we set out uh, to put in, in 2015 is when we started to deploy, uh, we wanted to have a big bang where we, we had a lot of locations and they started going up and people started seeing them. And, and literally people would say, uh, or could say, gosh, that's at my bank or that's where I shop or that's where my kids play soccer. And, and then if you did that, It'd be a little bit like solar, right? Uh, a neighbor would get a car because they felt like uh, they could charge it. And they knew where to charge it. They'd tell their neighbor, and 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 you'd see exponential adoption. And and that's actually what ended up happening. Chuck, let, let me just ask. Yeah, was it kind of out of culture for then Kansas City Power and Light uh, to pursue this? And I'll say this: you're in the middle of the country. These kinds of initiatives have been associated with California, maybe PSE&G in New Jersey, um, coastal communities. Why did you think it would fit with your culture? And did it require a corporate change of culture? And uh, 
and education of your customer base? You know, I think I think when we first started talking about it, there were probably a lot of employees who were questioning it, uh, maybe like regulators did when they first heard about it, which is, wait a minute, we don't have very many electric vehicles here. Why are we doing this again? But but relatively quickly, uh, as as uh, we started talking about it uh, inside the company, um, it, it became something that people attached to pretty quickly because uh, a number of key reasons. One, all of our research showed that people were very interested in electric vehicles, and if they if they knew there was somewhere that they could charge them reliably, um, that they would adopt it. But the second thing is. Um, electric vehicles are like Priceline for the electrical grid. They naturally charge at times when we have plenty of generation capacity and at times when there's plenty of transmission and distribution capacity to deliver electricity. And so, if you know, 80% of it happens overnight in the homes. Uh, the next big chunk is right after people get to work. When they're not charging is when we have our natural peak conditions, which is from about three o'clock till about seven o'clock, um, you know, in the summertime. And so this is really taking an existing asset that's paid for and it is using it a lot more efficiently, which is good for us as an electric company. It's good for our customers from a cost perspective. And then of course you've got the environmental advantages as well. So it didn't take long for people at then KCPNL, now Evergy to say, hey, this is kind of a triple play. It's a win for the environment, it's a win for our shareholders, and it's a win for our customers from a cost perspective. So as we're sitting here in the fourth quarter of 2019, um, of the 1.6 million customers in Kansas and Missouri, how would you say they are utilizing those 2,000 installations um, and what has been the trend line in terms of increased usage? The trend line has been exponential growth. So when we started this in 2015, uh, the Kansas City region wasn't even in the top 50 uh, of cities or regions across the United States adopting electric vehicles. Uh, two months or three months after deployment, so the second the second quarter after we started deployment, that all started to change. And, and the Kansas City Metro has not been outside of the top five fastest growing regions for electric vehicles uh, in the country since then. When you say top five in, in the number of vehicles per thousand people or actually? Percentage growth. So just that we, we continue to see growth here that is outside of, that is higher than most other places. It was number one for four or five uh, uh, quarters, but now there's a couple other places that are starting to creep up a little bit. For the uh, financial folks in the utility sector that are listening into this podcast, what's been the business impact? Has it been negative? Has it been positive or neutral in terms of bottom line for Evergy? You know, I would say uh, to this point, uh, and so we're at the end of 2019, and we started at the beginning of 2015. So we're roughly five years in. I would say to this point, it's been, it has been neutral to slightly positive. Uh, and the reason for that is when we uh, in, installed these charging stations, uh, we asked regulators uh, for recovery of all of the capital investment. Now we got some of the recovery. Uh, anything 
that was required going up to the actual charging station uh, did get to be recovered in rates. But the charging stations themselves in both states, principally because of the number of, of electric vehicle drivers that were present at the time, uh, were not recovered uh, in the, the early rate cases. But here's the thing. When our, and, so, and so one would think, well, you've got you've to write that capital investment off then because you're not recovering it. And uh, so that will be negative, except that uh, in the end, our accountants uh, took a look at the kilowatt hour growth that was occurring in between rate cases, just as a result of having these electric vehicle charging stations deployed. And they came to the conclusion that over the depreciable life of the charging stations, the increased usage uh, would indeed recover those costs. And so there was no write-off. And then of course, everything else uh, is in rates and, and we're earning on it. And, and we're still seeing significant uh, electrical growth, uh, electrical usage growth as a result. So uh, at the end of the day, I'd say neutral to positive. Uh, from a financial perspective, five years in, 10 years in, I think we'll be saying it was extremely positive. Can you quantify extremely? Uh, you know, I don't have that in front of me right now. Um, but I mean, I think this is this is something that would be that, you know, ultimately we will get the value of at a minimum, earning our authorized return on on what we invested. Okay, and, and in terms of impact on load, which many utilities see flat to declining, is it uh, register? Can you register the increase on load and give it a percentage? Yeah, so we can absolutely uh, see um, increased uh, usage. Again, I didn't I, I didn't know we we're going to get into the, the details of that, so I don't have all those that information in front of me. Um, what I will tell you is one of the very key benefits of doing this in a networked system is that we've got very good insight into when the charging is occurring and the impacts that it could uh, potentially have on the grid as it continues to scale. And so unlike other areas, uh, where that information is is not necessarily uh, easy to come by. Um, anything that's done on our system, we have. And the good news is, again, most of the charging, uh, probably 90% uh, plus, is happening outside of a time where we would have a generation or an electrical grid constraint. And so this is, by definition, all beneficial uh, kilowatt hours put on the grid, meaning we are having higher utilization of an asset that's already paid for uh, by by having these electric vehicles on the system. Okay, and uh, part of your portfolio portfolio is you oversee small generation. As uh, Evergy builds out its distributed grid platform, how do you see EVs integrating? And can you get pretty sophisticated in terms of dispatching storage on these cars? Is that part of the plan? Absolutely. And again, you know, when we when we first proposed this, um, having a network that is owned and operated by the utility has uh, a couple of advantages. One, just from a customer education and adoption standpoint, um, it is it is something that is now known and, and understood within our service territory. So something of McDonald's, right? Nobody goes to McDonald's because they have the absolute best burger ever created. People go to McDonald's because they know exactly where they're going to be, exactly how much it's going to cost, and exactly what they're getting at every single McDonald's 
across the United States. And so our clean charge network works the exact same way. People know how they're going to pay. People know what to expect. People know how to find them. And so it, it is great to foster adoption. The second major advantage of having uh, a utility own and operate something like this is that we now have something that we have all the data on. And because it's a smart system, meaning we can, we can use it to control things at the edge of it, um, we have the opportunity to do some things in the future um, that you can't with a patchwork of, of third-party uh, providers. And one of those things is ultimately being able to see how much uh, storage capacity is sitting uh, at stations and either control how much um, and how quickly the charging is taking place there or uh, in the future, we absolutely do contemplate that it might be able to provide localized stored uh, electricity that can be put back onto the grid uh, right, you know, right there where those cars are sitting. In a recent podcast, we talked to Mary Powell, Green Mountain Power, and they're experimenting with regulators on a, a flat monthly rate for customers that would bundle things like their usage, solar, EV, and uh, storage on the wall uh, in their garage. Is that something that you're looking at back of envelope for maybe? 10 years out or what kind of contingency plans are you, are you developing? Yeah. I mean, I would say, uh, I'd be very disappointed, uh, if it took us 10 years to get to that point. I think that, um, electrical usage, um, you know, almost all segments of the economy now are electrified. Really the only thing that isn't electrified is surface transportation. And so, um, as surface transportation uh, starts to scale uh, and electrify, as you start to see more distributed generation, um, I think you're only going to see um, user profiles for our customers, uh, residential, commercial, and industrial change depending on uh, the types of, of technology that are, they're deploying, whether it's for sustainability or cost or other performance issues. And so I think the future for all utilities and certainly investor-owned utilities is going to be having rates um, that are designed to fit um, kind of the use cases of, of individual customers. And so, yeah, I can absolutely see a time period and, and probably not as far away as, as folks would think uh, where we would be doing something very similar. One of the things I spotted on, on your website is you're undergoing some substantial increased reliance on renewables from about 1% in 2005 to a targeted 27% next year in 2020. Um, talk about that a little bit, how you're achieving it and what role, if any, the EV deployment's having in it. Yeah, so, you know, right now, uh, by, the end of, by the end of this year, um, we'll be just under 30%, actually, uh, you know, uh, electricity uh, from renewable resources that, that runs the gamut. We've got we've got solar, we've got wind, we've got hydro. The bulk of it, though, is uh, wind power from uh, Kansas, which is, of course, our home state. And you know, right now, as we look forward, you know, over a 20-year time period, 
with the tax incentives at the federal level uh, and, and the increasing technology uh, that we see in turbine performance and, uh, you know, the software that runs the turbines and, and seeing higher and higher capacity factors, there's just no doubt that layering in uh, wind energy is something that is putting downward pressure on rates over a 20-year time horizon. And so we see doing as much of it as we can, and we think in the next five years you're going to see solar uh, be at a similar uh, cost-competitive um, uh, position. And so uh, it, it is a huge part of uh, what we are doing today. Uh, it's going to be a huge part of what we do in the future. And, um, you know, the way EVs play into that is if, if you go on our website, um, you know, there's a place that, that, that says, you know, right now, this is how much uh, wind energy uh, as a percentage of what's being consumed is, is being produced. And, you know, if you go at noon, say it might be 15, 20, 25 percent. But if you look at that overnight, you can see that 75, 80 percent of the electricity being consumed sometimes is, is from wind power. And so what EVs do is, you know, they charge overnight. And so when you're charging your electric vehicle at home, um, you are disproportionately getting wind energy from somewhere in Kansas because that's when the wind is really blowing. And so this is another great example of how EVs are the price line for the electrical grid. Um, we're going to have a lot of generation that's, that is um, – that is produced overnight by wind power now and into the future, if we can get electric, more electric vehicles on the grid, essentially what you're doing is you're storing that power in a battery and deploying it during the daytime when maybe there's not as much wind power uh, on the system. And so it, it really goes hand in hand in a very symbiotic fashion. As somebody involved in the communications efforts of, of your company, how, how well understood is this both uh, by your customers and about the in, around the industry? Why don't you talk about what you're doing to educate your customers and tell me a little bit about how other utilities around the country and possibly the world are calling you up to try to see what you're learning? Well, there certainly has been a lot of interest in the Clean Charge Network. We've had multiple utilities come in and, and, and see what we're doing, both from a, a network and a, you know, an operations perspective all the way to the customer education uh, aspect of it. I mean, we've got a we've got a microsite that's dedicated to the network and to uh, EV drivers. We've got a very active uh, social uh, media, social platform uh, community of of drivers that's very engaged. And of course, we work with dealers and things like that. And so, you know, this is you know front and front and center on. Uh, everything we do is talking about the beneficial aspects, uh, both from an environmental standpoint as, as well as a cost standpoint of electric vehicles. I mean, the value proposition is it is currently the best way to store renewable energy produced overnight and, and use it at a time uh, when you might have peak uh, demand on the system. And so, I mean, it's, it's one of the first things that we talk to. Uh, with any stakeholder. If, it, if you're environmentally uh, inclined, then you're, you're very happy that it's being powered by wind. If you are concerned about cost, then the great news is that very cheap wind power is being soaked up by batteries overnight and being deployed 
uh, at a time when when we're not having to you know turn on something else that maybe is a fossil fuel generator, um, but still still being able to use electricity. So it's 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 really part and parcel of everything we do is talking about these advantages. So so Chuck, the, the last thing I'd like to ask you is to, to kind of pull on your suspenders and sit back and opine a little bit about the fact that I view Evergy as a solid mid-tier utility. It's not a flashy company with 20 times the size of yours, but but right in the middle tier. So what could utilities in Baltimore, Des Moines, Tulsa, cities like Kansas City learn from this effort? And what what message would you like to share with them? Well, I, I don't know that we have anything to. I, I would never presume to tell uh, you know our, our sister utilities. Uh, you know they should do one thing or another. Every every kind of metro area is a little bit different, has different sets of challenges and, and different sets of, of stakeholders and concerns. But what I will say is, I think we have conclusively proven here, uh, in what most people think is is fairly conservative flyover country, that if you build a system. Uh, that meets the bare minimum charging requirements uh, or a little better uh, for your populace, they will adopt electric vehicles. Electric vehicles as a technology um, is ready to go and is something that people want. So if they feel like they can charge, if you build it, um, they absolutely will come. They absolutely will adopt. And and I would also say that, uh, you know, maybe two other things. One, Electric vehicle drivers are probably our most engaged customers. They're the ones who try different rate structures first. They're the ones most involved in energy efficiency uh, measures and products and services that we have. They're the most likely to support uh, our company when we're trying to do something new uh, that folks haven't heard about before. So it's a very engaged, very positive customer base. Uh, And that includes people uh, and businesses who host the charging stations. They're, they're some of our biggest supporters um, as well. So I, I would say that. And then I would say, you know, don't be afraid to take a little bit of a risk um, with your capital. Put these things in. I mean, in our case, we didn't get full recovery, but we're going to uh, be held whole simply by the number of people that are adopting this technology. And I, I think everybody, you know, most utilities are, big enough that they can take 20, $25 million and put that capital to work and at risk and, and feel pretty good they're going to get it back. Chuck Casely of Evergy, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks to Chuck Casely for joining us on Grid Talk, filling us in on the Kansas City EV market revolution. Be sure to join us next time when we hear from Tom Farrell, Chairman, President, and CEO of Dominion Energy, as he discusses his company's path-breaking sustainability efforts. If you have any questions or would like to give us feedback, you may reach us at gridtalk at nrel.gov. And we encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. For more information or to subscribe, please visit smartgrid.gov slash grid talk. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.